0: Ho, neighborinos, my name is Kyle, and I am here with Danny. <laughs> I'm here with Danny. I'm here with Indeed. Danny and Flanders, apparently. <laughs> and I am here talking today about Powers of X, issue number five.
1: Anywhere he can
0: breathe underwater
1: and go flying through the air.
0: the number. Last week, we talked about House of X, issue number five. A lot of things happened. We learned about resurrection. We learned about new new and old mutants and obscure mutants coming together, making things. People with gold balls, if you will.
1: Yep, the goldenest.
0: The goldenest of balls. (laughs) We learned that uh, Krakoa just finally became officially, according to the UN, a nation state so that's exciting um a lot happened last week it was a long episode yeah
1: i mean that issue was action-packed with just plot twists and new revelations and returning of old and new faces it's it was it was a lot for just one issue you could have seen the content that stretched out over a whole whole story arc that's what i've been saying from the beginning is a lot of this stuff like these individual issues Many writers could stretch it out long arcs to the very end. But Hickman, he's like, I'm going to jam-pack each one. Bam, 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 back to back. And it's been delightful riding this ride with him.
0: The whole yeah. Day. I've had to reread a lot of them. Oh, it's yeah. There's, there's a lot.
1: Yeah, tons of content. You could easily overlook things. Even when we go over them, I'm still like, oh, you know what? I get that now. <laughs>
0: like, I see yeah. what he's doing there.
1: <laughs> I didn't notice that. But now I'm, I'm picking it up. I'm I'm
0: getting what you're saying. Yes. Uh, so let's do this. Let's get into it. You ready? You ready for oh, this? Yeah. All right. Let's so dive we, right in. Yeah, let's do it. So we started off at, uh, because this is Powers of X, or Powers of ten, if you will. We started off at year zero, year one. Um, we're in Dallas, Texas, and we're met with Forge. And Forge is handing Xavier a glass of whiskey. And it is important to note that Xavier has old Cerebro, and his parents with him, and he's—he's chairing it right now. Yeah, he's living that chair life.
1: He's rocking his wheels.
0: And uh, they're just uh, discussing—discussing Cerebro. Forge is like, "You're on the third generation." Uh, Xavier's like, "Nah, fourth generation, bro. Come on, get with the story."
1: (laughs) I'm on that this Cerebro, fourth gen Cerebro. It's got the bigger screen. It's lighter, it's made of aluminum, and it also comes with 5G.
0: (laughs) 5G, man. Get ahead of the game. Get on that 5G before the rest.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting little backstory that you're getting because the the history of Cerebro has usually been kind of left relatively ambiguous. I know that Forge had a hand in some of the earlier iterations, but I always thought that it was more of kind of like Charles's brainchild with like the application and uh, actual... Build, com- build design coming from someone like Beast and this like flushes out more of like Forge's involvement and actual design and development of this and previous versions of Cerebro which is pretty cool because that's, that's some like backstory for Cerebro that you don't get too often it's more of always just been like an important piece of plot machinery that existed in the X-Men mythos alongside almost every story but now we're getting some time to like flush out what Cerebro is and what Charles plans to do with it from this point forward.
0: Yes, and uh, Xavier wants to upgrade, and this is the upgrade that allows you to imprint psychically the minds onto a shell, which we've seen last issue in House of X issue number five. Um, but now in in year one, it's just a concept to him, and he's trying to talk about this concept to forge... And he he talks about how Henry Henry's an empathetic man, but he's unable to approach the subject with his expertise. And he needs Forge's help for this.
1: Yeah, like Beast is, is someone he can rely on for, for practical engineering and baseline designs of different types of machinery and technology. But when it comes to it, I mean, this is really what Forge's powers for, is inventing. That's mm-hmm. like his that is his mutant power is his ability essentially to invent concepts and, pra- and applications from machinery that already exist in ways that typically wouldn't be common like he can revolutionize them and they kind of go into detail with that when they, like, speak more on, like, the things that Forge develops, not only for Cerebro, but when he gets his hand on Shi'ar technology, he also starts to improve and revolutionize current technology being used by Charles and the other uh, uh, members of the X-Men. It's really cool. I like that Forge is getting, like, a real nice lean right here, a nod to his, like, his ingenuity. I mean, sure, it's all kind of a cheat because, you know, Forge isn't brilliant on his own. He's just intuitive. And his design prowess. It's not like an intelligence. It's more of like his mind makes the connections for him. Like as if you had like a calculator in your brain. That could just do the math for you real quick. Offhand. Without you actually having to think about it.
0: Right, exactly. He very much plays this, like... And it, it, even Hickman writes this in a way where he's kind of showing you almost like a crash course in, like, the basics of what, like, a, a CTO would do in a company where he's all, like... He goes into, like, redundancy and, like, you need backups, essentially, and, like, how how systematically, like... Especially in computation, you need to have a backup of a backup of a backup in case something goes wrong, in case anything... Uh, uh, any failures happen. It's just good practice and he kind of goes into that with you a little bit and then uh he goes like you would need like at least one or two backups and and <laughs> and uh Xavier's like five I'm gonna need five backups <laughs> yeah
1: I like how he even wants one of them for like a specific clandestine location that like is secretive and he's like that's my failsafe backup <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that one to be the most <laughs> important one It was really cool. And you're right. He he used uh, an interesting way of writing to show you, like how Forge's deductive reasoning is, it's not like he starts from the ground and works his way up. Like Forge takes the idea and he reverse engineers it and into being that he says like, this is what we can do. We just need to figure out a way to drive what you have towards that end game. And these are the things. these are the things that we could overcome when trying to build this technology. And this is what you should do if you want to have the most fulfillment out of it. And Charles is like, yes. I do want that, but let's take it a step further. Can you go further with it? And that's the cool thing about Forge is like you can brainstorm anything with him and he can fucking just make it a reality. He can lay it out. And he was getting kind of excited too. Because Charles is like, I want to get unconventional with it. And Forge is like, now you're talking my language. Like, yes. <laughs> let's go off the beaten path. Let's design some more radical technology. And he's like, Let's implement Shiar technology. And Forge is like, Yes, like let's get let's get alien with the actual technology we're implementing. Let's get biomechanical. Let's start to bridge those lines. Because he, he's a good mechanical engineer. But biomechanics is more usually something like beast's field. But that type of technology that we have doesn't lend itself as well to transition into a biomechanical range. Whereas the Shi'ar Empire is all about that kind of stuff. As we find out more with like the crystal technology and a lot of other different things.
0: This is great. Exactly, yeah. And this very, very much piques Forge's interest, and he, he's just Xavier's just like, "Will you build this for me? Are you going to build this for me?" And you just see Forge smile, it's a smirk. And it's like, great. Can
1: you do it? He's like, he's like, it's not, it's not when we build this. It's like, are you going to build it? And yeah. it's just like, can you rise to the challenge? And I think he's just goading him. I think that's all that Xavier's doing. He's like, he knows he's got Forge, hook line yeah. and sinker. But he's like he's just gonna add that last little layer on there to get Porter like on his path to get him hit the ground running.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, so moving on, uh, we're led into uh, Hick and Hickmanism, and this is a, uh, Hickman. <laughs> uh, I need a name for what these are because uh, it's it's charts sometimes, but sometimes it's just facts, and sometimes it's just writing.
1: Yeah. Sometimes it's like a, it feels like a, an actual like key for like a science like reference or like a legend like you would see on a map, or, or like a, a an actual legit graph for, for something like in a mathematical sense. But there's still, it's a large width of different variety in some of these graphs. Some of them similar, but usually we get like a, a something unique in every issue.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I love it. I love it. Um, So in this one, we're talking about Cerebro, and specifically, he starts off with uh, version 7. Originally powered by the Shi'ar antimatter engine, the current build of Cerebro now runs on Krakoan no-place-bent, converted by Forge to act as an unlimited power source for mutants living on the island. Uh, Shi'ar logic diamonds still remain the primary source for data storage and are... Also, how Sinister's DNA sequencing is cached, which we just discussed last, last page. Also, are these Shi'ar Logic Diamonds? Could these be the things that – remember we were talking about the crystal USB drive uh, a couple issues ago? I, I think so. I wonder if these are actually what they are.
1: I thought the same thing as well, actually, is that they uh, are the same – either the rudimentary form because, I mean, or that's – yeah. The yeah, foundation
0: of it, at least, was Shi'ar Tech.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: because that.
1: That crystal itself was implemented in a much farther timeline, but this seems like this is in line with that level of technology and that type of development. So I feel like that was an actual legitimate nod to the same mythos, to the same type of tech. It's like, you know, Hickman's doing some good bookkeeping here with even his like his little tech references and his little like tech uh n- nomenclature if you will like how he he references it the evolution of people the technology that is around people the technology integrated in the machines themselves the ai tied to it like all of that stuff evolves in it's in its own little unique way and you can look to each one and see it kind of uh, isolated in other parts of the stories in little like throwaway nods like this because that's really what it was is like why else would they focus so much on the uh, Shiar technology if it wasn't something that they were already using prevalent in the future, prevalently in the future? So it's a good, it's a good, kind of a back and forth nod. Like they'll might reference or Hickman will reference something earlier, and then later on he'll come and fill in the blanks for that in a way where you're like, oh, you know what? Going back and reading those stories is actually very advantageous because you get a lot more of what everything is and how it fits in the greater mythos. It's really cool here, and this whole computer tangent is really uh, actually important and relevant to the storyline. It's not so much of like a, a, re- a waxing and waning of, of like tech ideas, but more so a celebration of this new world of technology that Hickman is building in his mythos and how it's going to be the mainstay for how the X-Men use a lot of their normal tools coming forward from this point.
0: The Krakow in no place vent, uh, they don't really explain it, but I just assume it's just a a thing that was created as an unlimited source of energy that Mm -hmm. is a replacement for the Shi'ar antimatter engine.
1: Well, the no-place zone is an actual thing that I believe they flesh out a little bit in the actual geographical location of Krakoa. So, like, the no-place zone is, from what I understood, like, functions as a tumor within Krakoa. It's an artificial location that's forced into Krakoa's existence but does not have any actual connection to the uh, symbiotic network that Krakoa is for the rest of its actual physical location. So this is like a place where Xavier and Magneto can go and be disconnected from the weird symbiotic uh, connection that they normally have with Kakoa. Because every, every being and creature is attached to Kokoa in some way. And as they flush out later on with Black Tom Cassidy, that we find out, like there there is like a constant thumb or a constant finger on the pulse of what's happening in Krakoa. So this no place is actually very significant for Charles and Magneto to continue with what they're doing without too many people being privy to it. Mm. As well as the unlimited power source, too. It's important to keep that there. Yeah. Keep that under wraps.
0: Damn, that's so smart. I didn't it's even a good, think about that, yeah. It's a
1: great world, Hickman's building here. It's a great world. I, I am yeah. seeing it as it unfolds, and I, um, I'm really pleased with what he has done
0: same here i um, am
1: entertained <laughs>
0: <laughs> so forge is uh, showing mastery in krakow tech and he continues this kind of uh, he just continues to improve his skill from traditional machines to biological machines and he's starting to learn more and more about Krokoa and creating more in technology and whatnot moving on to functionality uh we learn that Xavier copies the latest version of Every Mutant Mind to the multiple redundant cradles once a week uh, to all of those five locations that he mentions, backed up. Um, Every single mutant. Their memories, how they feel, everything, backed up once a week. It's a three and,
1: hour total process that he does once a week.
0: Yes, three so hours. Start total.
1: to finish. It's like that one it's just the whole backup process, three hours. And then a week later he'll do it again, another three hours. It seems mm-hmm. like that's the routine.
0: Yeah. You think he has hiccups in the system, like render farms and stuff like that? If they mess up, it's like, oh shit. It's it's fucked. The whole thing's messed up. You guys start over
1: or they got a personal level. Like, what if something happened in like the last week that was really important, like over the days, and then you die, and they back you up to that week earlier, and that whole week is just gone. <laughs> yeah, you could have in a day, let alone a week. You know. Yeah, <laughs> but then also, it it seems like this is them trying to make it. It's a very weird concept, but they're applying it. In a very grounded way for when it comes to how people traditionally back up servers and data throughout that type of uh, topology or not topology to out that type of uh, hardware management. Mm-hmm. And I like that it's being applied to such a wildly sci-fi concept.
0: <laughs> oh yeah,
1: in, in almost a very like too realistic way to where like, well, I guess this type of backing up wouldn't be as likely. I mean, if you're backing up people, you'd probably do like a live constant backup. Like, look at how you have like a you can set your um, your Google Drive or your um, your live storage to to upgrade or update in real time. So anytime yeah. you make a change to it, it'll update it, and your Cloud Space storage will mimic that update in a constant real time. Whereas, Xavier's like, I'll, I'll just do it once a week. <laughs> just do it once a week. <laughs> He's like very lazy about his his data backup, and that data that he's backing up is literally the the entire collective psychic consciousness of
0: the mutant population. <laughs> it's like taking a giant dump, yeah. a giant psychic dump.
1: Yeah, that's why it takes so like, uh, long. It takes like three uh, hours, and you only do it once a week. It's very painful.
0: <laughs>
1: he's like, I just can't do this. I'm tired. Like. Uh, who gives a shit about what happened in this week for you? Have you ever had to push out the entirety of the mutant psychic collective in, in, embraced like consciousness? Like, do you know what that is? Do you even understand? <laughs> like, he could have like kind of a rick and morty style of rant. Like, can you even grasp
0: this? Do you, you even a, understand? <laughs> you think a woman has it bad?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, <no. laughs> yeah, I went there. He's like, try birthing the entire collective consciousness of your people and then come talk to me.
0: (laughs) me. Xavier, out. (laughs) Drops the mic. Drops the cerebro.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm out of here. I don't have time for this shit. (laughs) If people are beneath me, I am a god. I'm a golden god. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. Yeah, this is this is really cool. This is a really cool like um, foundation or framework that Hickman has put forth to kind of like keep them to. And I can ex- I can accept it. It's a very simple way of doing. It. Like remember last time when they were doing this really like rudimentary way of trying to prove who everyone was when they yeah. cloned them. Like I feel like at first you could be like, well, this is this is flawed, and anyone can come through and say like certain things. And like, is this really a an objective way to critically find out if anyone is who they really are? Or is this just a a poetic license moment that Hickman is being very straightforward with and saying, like, no, these are who they are. You just need to suspend belief and accept this right now so we can move the story on. Like, I'm doing this in a simple way to show you, like, this is how this is going to work without any smoke and mirrors. I'm not putting a red herring here. This is just really simple and really straightforward. And that's why it almost feels like you can look at it in a more complex way and pull it apart. Because you're bringing complexity to something that Hickman is trying to keep simplistic. And this whole moment here with the weekly three-hour backup, you could break it apart with complexity, just like I was saying, and the other moments as well. But that is not what Hickman wants to do with this moment, is he wants this to be a much more simpler moment. He has his moments where he makes things get very complex and has a lot of hidden nuances that you have to dig through but that is more for the story when that comes like this part is just a building block this isn't meant to be a story turn he makes his story turns very known and when he's being very straightforward and bland and like kind of not not even bland because i don't want it to have a negative connotation i want it to be more like represented as like he's just trying to keep it simple he's like here's a simple building block it's simple for everyone to understand this is how this device works in this world this is how this concept works in this world we don't have to break it down and read past it any more than this and that's why he does it this way. He's gotten so, so perfect at his his ability to write the story and flush out a quick nod for you to understand versus a deep, hidden, nuanced nod. And I like that. And I like it's easy to spot, too. So it's like I can really just jump into, like, what Hickman's writing and follow it through and mm-hmm. continue on to the next story with ease. Because you, you, if you were going to break this apart, it would fall apart real quick but you can look at the way hickman writes with these particular like tropes and little poetic licenses and understand them and get what he's going for and not feel cheapened because he's like trying to meet you halfway and he's like yeah no like it's ridiculous but this is the rule i'm setting forth (laughs) you're like okay (laughs) i I can live with it hickman good job get to that twist hickman what's that twist you're you're building up all this like simple basic understanding stuff so you can then throw a huge
0: twist on top of all of it (laughs) it's coming yeah. And then uh, once a year, Xavier does a hard backup of each mutant. And unlike the weekly backups, this process is a fresh copy of the whole mind, and takes three days during which cannot be interrupted, and Xavier cannot be disturbed. See, this is what I'm talking about. Like, what happens if he like sneezes? Yeah. During like, the process.
1: What's What's the <laughs> What's the level of like dedication, like without getting like errors and redundancies throughout like his his entire data like feed that he's feeding from his psyche to the actual storage? Like, is there anything like a hiccup or a network connection error that he has to worry about? Right. And then all of a sudden, like when he clones Beast, he has three arms, and he's like, "Oh, how did that happen?" <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! I remember now. I had that sneeze. <laughs> or Wolverine wouldn't leave me alone. He kept bothering me. <laughs> I'm working here, man. <laughs> Do you understand how important my job is? I don't care about your existentialism, Wolverine. Leave me alone. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Like I like that it's broken up into different uh routes of, of how he backs it up and how he stores it. So it kind of shows you his job and his purpose throughout the time. Of how each day-to-day moment is is uh, critiqued by everyone else, and his involvement in it is like Xavier's there and he's running the show, but then he's also like holding up this crazy Phoenix-level recovery system that he's put forth from the mutant kind to have as a fallback. Like he's propping that up with his sh- his sheer will. I mean, sure, you have the five that make it a reality, but it's the backbone of what Xavier's doing that makes it truly something unique because you can make the clones of everyone, but they're not going to be them unless you upload what Xavier has to, from his end to the actual Husk end. And that's why he's so significant here. And it's really worth noting that he's, he's doing a lot to keep this going on. It's crazy stuff.
0: It's crazy stuff. Um, Hickman notes that, uh, uh, There's been no experimentation regarding what happens when you combine the mutant mind with a husk that is not their own. Uh, It is believed that unless a mutant has some primary or secondary ability to overcome the potential damage, such such a mismatch would cause, it's likely to be harmful and possibly fatal, which possibly touches on the... Uh, the people that we see in the future. The Chimeras. The Chimeras, yeah. Well, yeah,
1: because they had the generations of Chimeras, so that's probably that kind of linking to this. Is it like maybe the first generation Chimeras were not very stable, not very reliable. The second generations were maybe stable, but not as powerful. And then the third generations were like the perfected versions and so on and so forth. Now, Now we're seeing it here in the infancy, and it's true infancy. Like, they haven't even thought about the stuff that we've already seen revealed. And I like that. It's that reverse engineering that I was talking about Hickman's writing. It's bringing, it, it's bringing the, pe- the future back
0: to the past. Exactly. Um, and he also notes, which is kind of funny, it is possible for a telepathic operator to replace their own mind with a previous version, but doing so is incredibly difficult and would likely require a skilled and experienced operator. Charles Xavier has done this twice.
1: Yeah, that's a second note where they're like, but well, Charles has done it. And that's <clears throat> kind of and that's kind of where the cool thing is here that you can you can take away from all of this is that as absurd as a lot of this is, the concept of someone supplanting their psychic being into another person is actually nothing new for Charles Xavier. Like this is something he's done on his own to overcome a death or some sort of removal from existence of his physical body. Like, the yes. destruction of who he is is never, his physical being has never really been a thing to stop someone like him or a powerful psychic on that level. Like, uh, you could say someone along the lines of, like, the Shadow King or Proteus or uh, Legion or oh, Nathaniel Gray, like Nate Gray from the Age of Apocalypse. Those people, they just, like, take their, their existences and their psychic bodies and they put them in the physical bodies of people all the time. And it's nothing new. Xavier's created a system where other people can be implemented to it to run it and maintain it. But he could do the whole reapplying of a person's being and psyche on his own. He doesn't even need him. He could do it himself and he doesn't even need his body. I mean, they even brought that up in even the movies. Like that was something that the movies kind of touched on is that when he got destroyed, they brought him back in like a whole twist about him possessing a like a guy who was a vegetable, essentially. I mean, if you have a functioning body that's perfectly intact with no actual medical disorders, that's ideal because though your brain is dead, your body functions and pop Charles in there, and he's good to go. Yep. He's a new Charles. <laughs> and what some psychics do in those situations is they just go into your mind and they make the person look like who they were. So even if they're in a different person, when you look at them, you'll always see Charles, even if it, like he could be anyone. He could be like an obese woman and like he would still look like Charles Xavier. <laughs> and you never know because, yeah. you know, he could just he could tweak it like that. And that's a real cool thing here that Hickman not only flushed out, but he elevated. It's just like how we were talking about last issue about him touching on um, Mr. Sinister, elevating the concept of his DNA storage and do a more contemporary thing. This is now the contemporary twist to what Charles can do with his psychic transference.
0: hmm Par for the course for Charles, but very interesting the way that he fleshes it out, for sure. Uh, all right. And then um, Hickman goes on to point out where the five cradle locations are. These are the locations of all the backups. And right. they are, they're located at House of X, Island M Summer House which is on the moon. Yes. The Point. Uh and Moira's no place. <laughs> Moira's pod. <laughs>
1: Moira's... <laughs> no Place that contains Moira's secret pod. <laughs>
0: yeah. okay, okay, so, so uh, pod.
1: House of X that's what? The manor uh, at yeah. Winchester? Yeah. Yes West or Westchester, I mean, and then uh, Island M' Magneto's brooding spot. I know that. and then like yes. as you mentioned, S- Summer House is the house that's on the dark side of the moon. Mm-hmm. But and I know more is no place is in the middle of Krakoa and that tumor we talked about. And the Tuma. in the Tuma. <laughs> now, what is the point? Like the, the point... point
0: I was gonna ask you the same thing what is the point is
1: that the point to the point is that we don't know the point
0: i wish i had the map up the krakow map
1: is that hickman's point
0: (laughs) maybe maybe hickman's point is the point to point you in the right direction of the point
1: that was the point of the point all the time
0: it was (laughs) hickman eugene (laughs) you're such a genius better than nolan that wasn't hard (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know I, the point, though. And I can't find the map at the moment. What issues the map on?
1: That was, uh, oh, wasn't it in the last one of the House of X, Or was that the greater... Actually, you know what? I, I think want that say it's might earlier. be further back. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I think in the global uh, map, that they, they showed that geography of the different locations that had sided with uh the deal and the treaty and then the others that opposed it. They kind of highlighted that with color, but that didn't show... I don't think that showed Krakoa. I'm not sure. Yeah. So the point is just something that we'll
0: probably won't be able to know about. House of X is actually not Winchester Manor also. House of X is like, I guess, the command center of, of the island. So Krakoa then? Krakoa center. Yeah, proper, I guess.
1: Yeah. So they have two Krakoa locations.
0: Yeah. One in the Atlantic one. and one in the Pacific.
1: No, I mean like they have two locations that they use. And oh yeah, Moir the, the is no place. And no then place. House of Acts.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, that's good to know. Okay, so they don't even touch. The... Oh yeah, because in the earlier issue when they were leaving, um, Westchester, they showed it like overtaken by the trees and the the portals of Krakoa. Mm-hmm. So that's that was like their symbolic way of growing out of that location. Which the... you know, it's probably a good thing. It gets blown up a lot and assaulted.
0: The point is not uh, a part of coca
1: I figured that as much, since they already had two places. A secret one and a known one. It would be kind of dumb to have a third one.
0: Yeah. yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah, maybe that one hasn't been revealed yet. Maybe it's one of those things, because I, I, I've noticed, like I said, that there's sometimes that we have to read further to get stuff from the previous issues like explained better. Because you'll look at something that they finally flush out, and then you'll remember, oh, I remember when they brought up the point. I, oh, okay, so this is when they'll, like, they'll be there, they'll be in it, and it'll be significant because they're now at the point location, which is a cradle location. Or, yeah, like a cradle location, so you can know that going forward. But what the point is, I, I don't think has been really flushed out in mm. a significant way.
0: But one of the backups exists there. Yep. Yeah. It's important
1: enough to have a backup of all mutantom. <laughs> all the merry mutants. <laughs> but yeah, as long as all of those locations do not get destroyed, then Charles should be fine. See so my problem is is he put them all in the same plane of existence. He didn't put one in an interdimensional space yeah. or off planet. Just one he, pocket dimension. He could have he could have overnighted one of them to, like, the Shi'ar Empire and had it, like, put in a locker <laughs> or one of their numerous crystal storage systems and had it saved. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they could have got something, like, teleported over there. And it, I, mean, they, I mean, it's under lock and key and guard of the Imperial Guard. If I was going to have a crew of people watching over my empire, an Imperial Guard would definitely be the ones I'd want. Oh, yeah. They're like the Legion of Superheroes, but in the Marvel mythos. There's just, like, a bunch of A-star characters that are just stacked on top of a team which is still funny because gladiator could just do it all
0: (laughs) yeah for sure but
1: but it's like why not let's give superman the sidekick of superman (laughs) (laughs) the dose superman
0: (laughs) oh man all right so moving forward x-men year 10 we're taken to the louvre and uh, we're shown Emma Frost, and she uses her psychic powers to get all the all the tourists out of the Louvre, so she could join. And she could have fun by herself with herself and Magneto and Xavier. And we're see we're met with Xavier, fancy Xavier in his fancy suit, not his black suit, his black jumpsuit, but an actual suit. His his I gotta go outside suit.
1: Corporate mogul drug kingpin Xavier suit Is what I dubbed it <laughs> <laughs> he, he has that kind of look like he's transitioned already Into being like a, a seedy um, pharmaceutical rep Or like oh a well, pharmaceutical like corporatalion <laughs> I love it I love just the demeanor Like look at his posture even like oh yeah. Pose like it just breathes that kind of arrogance and that swagger, and I, it's just it's it's great. Oh man, we we are getting an Xavier that is uh, akin to none, the like that have come before, <laughs> to the likes before. This is this is all new, all different, brand new car smell, Xavier. <laughs> Oh man, look at that suit.
0: It's so suave. Rico suave, if you will.
1: He owns that suit. He look he he takes it and he's like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> or is he just naked and he's making everyone see a really nice suit?
0: <laughs> I that could, it could be that. You never know. Uh-huh. But uh Xavier and Charles are here and Emma Frost wants to know what is up. And Xavier wants Emma Frost to help with the help of the Hellfire Corporation to push his miracle drugs to the market. So he's, he wants Emma Frost to be uh, be a pusher. He's like Jack Black and Clone High just like, I'm a pusher! Uh,
1: so move these raisins! <laughs> <laughs> Do it! <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm
1: going to convince all the kids to smoke them. <laughs> Oh yeah, dude. This is this is like what we were getting at last episode. Or last now you got me saying it. Last issue or last episode of the podcast we discussed the issue of that he is now transitioning into his like weird Walter White status of like really getting his his empire off the ground. He's not only trying to facilitate the uh, distribution end, but he's trying to facilitate both the black market and on the more legit. Mainstream market end. he's covering both Spectrums he's like hitting it with the veggies he's Coming at this like I'm not only gonna hustle Drugs like on the main playing field like With the rest of the corporate moguls I'm gonna get the black market too and that's Why he's coming to like Emma Frost and He's trying to reach out to her because She has connections to not only The mainstream market but oh, she has Connections to people that get brought up Soon that also hook him up with The black market aspect of things And it's a cool it's a cool Um plan to have because it, it really is pretty foolproof in how they approached it it's a real simple easy going plan like i like how like xavier is approaching it at the very like simple cadence of like this is what we're gonna set up first we let them all know about it we're gonna line up these dominoes and we're gonna knock it down i'm gonna implement you and <laughs> i like that magnetos is there but he also feels like he's the muscle like that's another thing i got he has his words he says like some pro that like you know hickman writes magneto great and we've seen in the issues leading up to this point, but it really felt that Magneto's role in this moment was like he was the tough henchman guy. <laughs> like he was the the badass and imbo- imposing like my character standing behind like the the drug lord. <laughs> and I do like how she called him out on the whole thing where she was like, you guys really want to put a bunch of mutants on an island again? You're to learn Magneto? She's like getting all in his face. He's like, stop gathering people to one place to kill it. You survived the Holocaust. Like, what's what's your game plan here? <laughs> you just keep putting like mutants in one spot. Wouldn't you be mad about that? Just gather them up. How are you putting them on this island, Magneto? You're putting them on a train, and you're going to take them over there? You're going to carry them on a train with your magnetism? What kind of abuse do you like to go through? <laughs> and he's like, enough of that. Like, We're not the same Magneto and Charles. Like, we got something going way different here. Because she's approaching it like they're the Magneto and Charles we know. That's yeah. the cool part is that she's reacting to them how we would react to them as readers knowing about Magneto and Charles throughout the myth of, the mythos of X-Men. But they're like, no, we're a whole this is a whole new game we stumbled upon. It's like you got that friend that stumbled onto this unique hustle, and he's like, You gotta get it at the ground floor. Dude, I got dude. this,
0: dude. I like, should have like, yeah, got that bitcoin, bitcoin they early. Say.
1: That's what <laughs> to say. Like, I should have listened to you 10 years ago when you're like, you well, you should just buy one Bitcoin. And I was like, all right. And it was like a hundred dollars. <laughs> I, like, I could have just sold that. For, like, 20 Gs, but, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And so Charles is like, you know, you got to understand. We got this new Bitcoin. We got this new cryptocurrency we're trying to push out on the market. If you get in now, Emma, you could be very lucrative, and you can make some good scratch. She's like, all right, I'm sort of like, (laughs) Like, I'm going to do it for the children. And I'm like, the bullshit
0: you're going to do for the children.
1: Yeah, I like how good that sounds, even out loud. <laughs> She's like, "I like how to." This is how I approach it. I will just say it out loud so people can hear it. and I can move past it and get to my money.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Emma's just like, "What's what's the difference this time?" And Magneto's Magneto whips out the product. He's like, "Let me show you what. Let me show you the goods. Let me show you what we got. This is the this is what we're gonna push. I'm
1: gonna he rack was, up some cocoan leaf right here. <laughs> yeah,
0: that cocoon leaf, that good stuff."
1: This is fresh off the boat. <laughs>
0: uh, so, yeah. So now Emma knows of the drugs. Drugs being a flower. And the purpose of the flowers. And the intentions that Xavier and Magneto has with the f- with said flowers. And we cut to Kokoa later. Just as later. I assume maybe <laughs> months later, probably. Not years.
1: Maybe, maybe it just it just turned into a, a, tel, a like an actual teleportation ring and brought her there. And then they were like, "Hit this leaf, it'll or hit this flower, it's gonna take you to a faraway land." <laughs> <laughs> Come with us on this journey. She's <laughs> <just> like, "Okay, <laughs> sure." Wow, it's beautiful here. <laughs> That's what the later part was. Oh, man. This could really just be five minutes later.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it could just be five minutes later.
1: (laughs) Fifteen minutes later, it hits you like It's quick.
0: (laughs) So she she tested the product. She was all like, all right, I'm in. And what's up? And and this is where he's all like, I want you to... You want me to create the East India Trading Company of Mutant don't you? And they're like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And uh, it's pretty fascinating because he's kind of explaining and rolling out like this is the first step we need something to sell this is something we have and if we sell this we could build an economy we get that money son we could get that money that green
1: stack that cheddar
0: stack that cheddar
1: (laughs) we're gonna build an empire out of cheese and this is how we're gonna do it and she's like oh man i like this she's definitely feeling it too because they're yeah. starting to sweeten the deal, and she's getting some good things out of it. They're starting to come up with a much simpler plan. Because at first they were very vague, but once she was all in, they they just started unloading it like a like a track where a train was rolling down, and in each track part of the track was getting built as the conversation was going on. And you just see this massive empire of money and wealth just building in front of them. The paneling is great too, like the way they set it up. It, you really get the ebb and flow of the conversation. That they're like they're they're discussing some like some good dirt.
0: Yeah, and when once she finds out, we uh, find out that what is in it for Emma, and what's in it for her is Xavier's building this government of Krakoa, and Emma is offered two seats on the board, and on the secret council, on the secret council, if you will. <laughs>
1: They've got two seats open on the Secret Council of Reeds. They're hard tickets to get. And we're going to offer them up to you. (laughs) I like the background shadiness of, like, how Hickman... Because Hickman will bring in the Secret Council type stuff in almost all of his stories. I mean, shit, the the S.H.I.E.L.D. run is entirely based on the all-secret doings of, like, the inner council, like, the S.H.I.E.L.D. members, like, and people going all the way back to, like, Leonardo da Vinci. And if you want to go that kind of route with it, like, that level of secret society... So the way Hickman brings it in here in this moment is a nice little nod because they're using it not only as like a bargaining chip, but it implies that there is now a greater subterfuge going on in what Charles and Magneto are trying to do. Because this whole story has, has a key point that is obviously, you know, the, the dealing and manufacturing and facilitating of the products out of Krakoa so they can build their economic pharmaceutical empire but magneto and charles and probably even charles to an even deeper extent have another subplot that they're trying to like flush out as they're building this and that's where the secret council comes in and what role they play and how they shape greater mutinum and you're just like oh man this whole like pharmaceutical racket is really interesting and unique and different but then the second you hear about that you're like oh i want to go down that road like, tell me, who are the members? Like, what are the other seats? How many people? Like, what is it? What does your table look like? Show me your table.
0: <laughs> it's all about the table. It really is. Like, I don't even care oh, about your yeah. your system of government. It, oh, yeah. I just really care about, like, what, what are you using oak? Are you using yeah. mahogany? Are you the using round? Is it right? traditional
1: rectangle? Exactly. Like, <laughs> <definitely.
0: laughs>
1: <laughs> is it just an empty room like the Reeds had, where it was just with a massive fireplace?
0: <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: i don't know but like that this is this is where i my uh intrigue for all of what hickman has been writing up to this point hit its peak his, its peak uh i guess you could say moment of of excitement where i was just like yes what is charles's real plan going on in here is he actually evil is he good is he the normal charles just approaching it in a different way like, who are these characters really and we get some interesting insight here that really, really pays off well and this is the beginning of it. This is the nod. Yeah. Like you get two seats, and then the bargaining yeah. continues.
0: Yeah, and she's she's like, why? Why do I get two seats? And Charles goes, I need you to bring back Sebastian, Saw, Shaw, and the Hellfire Club. And she's like, I just got rid of him, and you want me to bring back <laughs> this crazy ass motherfucker?
1: I <laughs> just ousted him. You kidding? Like I'm gonna go track him down and be like, we need you back. <laughs> And he's got like one of those little tiny doors that you gotta crawl through to get to him and he's like, Oh, you came crawling back to me, I see. Yeah. Seems <laughs> like Sebastian Shaw would be that kind of a dick because he's so he's so infatuated narcissistic that it it's it's what always brings him down. <laughs> so but it's funny when when he when he has to be used and when people need something from him, he revels in it so much.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's like, you need me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he definitely gets out on it, for sure. Yeah. And she's just like, you want me to get the Black King to run Black Book operations into countries who rejected our sovereignty? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we do. You in? And she's like, yes. Yes, I am in. But I'll be needing three seats. Three seats on the board. And that's where we cut to... The Hickmanism of the Quiet Council of Krakoa.
1: Now, now we should preface this that due to the Freedom of Inter- Information Act, we were able to get this specific
0: Quiet Council
1: of Krakoa information, but we weren't able, once again, due to the Freedom of Information Act, to get all the information because some of the council is blacked out yes, and not it revealed. Was
0: <laughs> it was redacted. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was like, what am I looking at here? Why right. are you redacting information
0: in right. your own? Your own? Like,
1: show. like what, what is happening here? You're just going to tell me
0: next week. No, you're not. <laughs> <just, laughs> I was like, this is a, <laughs> this this, is this, a weird one. <laughs> this, is why,
1: this is why people are, are moving hot on Area 51, you know? Like, you, we got to find out what's yeah, in it's Quiet
0: you know. Counts. What was going on? Oh Come my on.
1: gosh. They were too quiet about some of the council, and we didn't find out. <laughs> I love it, man. I, I love this redacted council because it it got it still paid off. It paid off, but it got me excited even more. And I was like, yes, like this is the road that I wanted the the story to start to twist down. And it it didn't it didn't let me down. It built you in the night. It built you up in a nice way, and then it paid off perfectly. And then transitioned into all this interesting little council based subterfuge. Because I mean, take it from the top on the council and bring us into it. Like it starts, it starts in a, a very unique way.
0: Yes, yeah, so it's broken up into four, I guess, sides of the table. It's a square table. If anyone wanted to know what it is, I think it's a square table. Well, wouldn't we say five if you?
1: Count oh, technically,
0: it? yeah, because you're counting crackle as well. Yeah, as part of the
1: table. Yeah, yeah, which kind of fucks up the whole weather scheme. <laughs> It does. You had some good there, Hickman, but I would have just. Like, yeah. I don't know. Krakoa doesn't count. It would just be a miscellaneous table.
0: So, Fair so, enough. Though. So the first side of the table is Autumn, and that consists of Professor X, Magneto, and the third one is redacted.
1: Well, we know it's Myra. It's got to be Myra. Yeah. Even if you don't know, it's you. You can you can at this point with the story,
0: you can easily like be like, okay, that's Myra. Yeah. Myra. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and uh moving on to the next table the winter table all are redacted we do Com- not know completely redacted like completely utterly... redacted.
1: but i i do know on one of them uh i think it oh gosh was it revealed uh later on in the chapter like who who they put into it i think in this actual issue i mean
0: no i think so it's I think... the next issue
1: Oh, I thought we get one nod at the end. I couldn't remember if there was an actual nod at the end of like someone who was going to be put in there. Like that they were already trying to flush out for one of them. And that it was pretty obvious that was going to be in the winter like council. Oh, no, you, you're probably right. That is probably the next issue. Because the, they don't give away the entire winter council, the entire summer council as well.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Because when you start from the winter and go on to the spring, that's that's the only part where they start to reveal stuff again
0: yes so spring consists of sebastian shaw emma frost and that third seat that she got which is redacted at the moment and as you mentioned summer is completely redacted and then the fifth is Krakoa, which consists of cypher and Krakoa essentially because they could hear and see everything so they have to technically be a part of it
1: yeah I guess yeah, they can't. They they want to try to keep them out, but they can't. <laughs> yeah, until they outweigh their usefulness.
0: Yes, <laughs> and it is unsure of whether or not this this council will be in place, or it is simply temporary, and will a temporary form of government that should be replaced in the future. Unknown at the moment.
1: Now approaching this in, in an objective way, would you? Uh, f- easily be able to interpret who would be in the spring council as the third like do you feel like that now if i want to be objective as possible seeing celine in that earlier panel mm-hmm. would make me think that the spring council would have celine in it because she's also been a part of the hellfire club at one point True. she she's yeah, the black celine queen
0: would be yeah
1: yeah so I would see it as her being relevant to that. But that's just me being objective and looking at this, like, kind of breakdown of how they started to set up and, like, allude to what some of the, the factions will be. Now, the Summer one, that one would just be too easy. But I would just say it would be a bunch of Summers' children and Scott Summers. Yeah. Yeah. And it would be Scott Summers, racial Summers, and maybe, like, I would just assume uh nathaniel summers nathaniel. <laughs> yeah yeah there you go the summers council <laughs> the summers That's
0: gonna be a sitcom soon yeah too it's many summers be, yeah, it's gonna be too easy <laughs> <many summers. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> too many summers
1: uh, man. it's
0: hot it's too hot in so, here too
1: hot man too hot uh, but yeah, see, that's the only thing I could take away. And like, like I said earlier with Autumn, like that was that would be the easiest to just look at it and say like, oh, would well, be Moira because she's the third piece to this puzzle. Yeah. Fuck yeah. okay. like a Douglas Ramsey getting catapulted to the top of the order by being the most useful power in the most irrelevant character's body.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: here. I coattailed my. <laughs> this is this is Hickman's Dark Shadow Council of the um uh, house of x universe and one of the members is douglas ramsey (laughs) just wanted to highlight that before we move on (laughs) this
0: is true these are facts
1: (laughs) now go back to the the uh, uh, like uh 80s (laughs) and think that that, is cypher ever going to be anything more than their calculator
0: (laughs) give it time give it time cypher you'll have your moment
1: (laughs) And Warlock's like, I can't wait to shine. And it's like, oh man, you'll be you'll be Douglas's right-hand man soon enough. <laughs> oh jeez.
0: Uh, so moving on, uh we skip to X-Men Year 10. And we're met with uh Xavier, and he's about to start uh a, a summoning of the sorts where he's 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 gonna speak to the people. And he does that. He starts speaking to uh, Sinister and uh, what's-his-face that I can't think of his name right now. And, and You're talking
1: about, oh, uh, Exodus, right?
0: Exodus, yes, thank oh, you. Oh,
1: and, like, all the Acolytes hanging and out And all acting. the Acolytes
0: are hanging out.
1: And their traditional Acolyte get-ups that have not changed since, like, the 90s. Yes. <laughs> Rocking their Acolyte. <laughs> like... It's like they came right off of uh, Asteroid M, it crashed, and they just showed up here. <laughs> they've, they've taken some interesting uh, humanizing approaches with, uh, with Exodus. Have you noticed that? He's not even red anymore. No, he, yeah. He's the, the most uh, palette, normalized version of Exodus I've ever seen. I mean, normally he's like super ripped and big. Like, mm-hmm. uh, to a point where it's almost exaggerated, and bright red. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, Red Hulk red. Like, that kind of palette. Yeah. But here, he just looks like he's, like... Because he's, a, he's
0: f- French, correct? He's, like, from, like, the... French or uh, Brussels, which is French-speaking.
1: Yes, exactly, during those, like, kind of Norman transitions and all that stuff. From like, Normandy and such. I get what you mean. Like, so, it it would probably be... Uh, some sort of timeline in like I think fourteenth century that he was introduced. And uh, he looked more like this when he became a more uh, drawn out character when they were showing like his backstory. But when his character developed, he, he just got redder and bigger and angrier. <laughs> I guess like the exaggeration of the nineties boiled a little hard into comics and I guess that's what probably led to his transition and i think them trying to ground this and bring it full circle is what led to them illustrating exodus in such a a basic way yeah but i love his, his clothing and his color design that that complements it so you oh, yeah it purple, as gold and
0: black yeah it looks yeah. nice i dig it
1: oh yeah and that's meant to impose a lot because with like comic books they use the color schemes to imply a lot of particular motifs like the purple means like nobility like royalty and then the gold also means like a level of like prestige, and then the black is supposed to be more of like an endearing, like a more of like a a strength, like a strong abyss. Mm-hmm. It's more of something unique to his color design, and they really did a good job with it. I really feel that if if you didn't have this this new team working in such a a fashion, like in a symbiosis, and how they develop these characters and portray them, like the story would be good on its own, but not so visually like enthralling because it's it's just that level of of an enthrallment it brings you to the image and you look at it and you're like holy crap <laughs> like they they're, they're drawing these characters that I've taken passively for years in a way that actually looks cool like look at that, the acolytes have their normal traditional acolyte gear but that mm-hmm. looks even cool like it's it's, it's, still, it's they nice, never, yeah. yeah they made it look cool and it's still the same design they just like the the colorization and the, the penciling really uh, Compliment it.
0: Yeah, and then he he's talking to also uh, uh, he's talking to Omega Red. Which look at Omega Red's design, I found that pretty interesting.
1: Oh yeah, after Sinister in the next after after Sinister, yeah, you go to Russia in like a little transition, like a little transition, and you get that that new modern Omega Red design. And there's a bunch of other Omega like characters that are. adjacent to them i'm not as familiar with those because those got introduced more recently and i love their design and how they're they're this kind of like very i guess you could say has that unification but enough variety but it's still like a unified militaristic type mutant organization that's how russia handles all their mutants because it's just like oh yeah we don't, we don't really have like an Avengers team proper. We have a bunch of mutants that we co-opted into working with us or dying. We're just like you either join us or die. That's how like Colossus was introduced like we, yeah Colossus was just like the Russian government's like you, you 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 essentially are a weapon of the state or we kill you or we take your family or we do whatever we can. And so that's why a lot of the Russian mutants always end up with this kind of designer demeanor or this weird militarized unification. But the modern Omega red, that I, I do appreciate. I mean, sure, going back to like Marvel vs. Capcom in his more traditional, cartoony '90s design, like the nostalgia's there, and I appreciate it. Also, with the animated X Men series, like that is Omega Red to me. But this new one, I have no problems with it.
0: Looks I, I cool. Think, I dig
1: it. I think it is. It is definitely. It is definitely on point for making Omega Red look like he's to be taken serious. If he looked the same, it's like I think only old school Sabretooth could pull off the old school Sabretooth look in the modern era because he's just like an animal behind it. Whereas like if Omega red still had his traditional look, it's like with those massive shoulders, it would just, I don't know. I'm like, it looks like a world of Warcraft character. Like what's happening. (laughs) So I like this. I like that they're even reaching out to them because you know, the Russians are going to be like, Nope, (laughs) we don't care. We want no part of this. As you've seen in like the voting and how they, they accepted the treaties. Like they, they didn't want to know part of it. Yeah. But still that's a nice little nod to that part of the mythos.
0: Exactly. And uh Xavier's just uh he's just extending the welcome to coco He's letting everyone know that they're welcome on the island and and anyone's allowed to come any mutants allowed to come in. But he's he's talking to all these mutants, but then we cut to Atlantis. And we see that Charles Xavier is also communicating with Namor, the submariner. My boy Namor. <laughs>
1: motherfucking doing, a
0: king of the ocean. Motherfucking king of the ocean, destroying universes when others couldn't. Yeah, <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> Making the hard decision for all the multiverse. <laughs> oh, yes. Namor. Hickman's always written Namor in in an enjoyable fashion. Every time he puts him into a story, he does not uh, pull punches with him. He yeah. puts him full Namor. He doesn't like it's not Namor showing up and being like indecisive about things. It's not Namor sitting so you going like let's talk it out. It's Namor going in and like going like, "Well, I I'm a king, so I'll just decide what I want to do and then we do it." And it's playing out in real time. <laughs> yeah. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> so now he gets brought in and we now get to see like the breakdown between how charles is going to approach him because as you can see that they were leading into all those people we discussed you know sinister exodus um and going on from there from even omega red those are those are typical like foils to the x-men's uh group of uh weary protagonists and yeah seeing them have the olive branch in a way extended out to them uh, in a fashion that Xavier did is kind of uh, not unheard of because they all try to man the fences, but it is more of a, a direct approach after the fallout of what he already put forth. So he created this new precedent, he created this new precedence with the mutants. And right afterwards he followed through on his word and said like, you know, that wasn't to save face with the humans or that wasn't to just put on an act like all of you I'm reaching out. I mean it like I'm extending a personal all branch to you individually so you all can understand that this is a new era this is a true united mutant era this is not just a idealized political era this is like fuck it we're just going to be in it we're all in it together regardless whether you guys want to join us we're still reaching out to you and now we're seeing it culminate to like these characters making their decisions and trying to understand it and now him coming to someone who's at the top of that list that has always been in a juxtaposition not only because he's a mutant by some strange occurrence in like the marvel mythos but also because the fact that he is like essentially the ruler of the other part of the earth which is ocean and trying to convince that kind of understanding to him doesn't seem to always work out i mean with look at utopia that worked because atlantis Mm -hmm. was essentially already underneath it so like you know, Namor was like, Of course I'll defend this land. It's in my territory. Like, my kingdom is right here. So, whatever. <laughs> you know, I'll defend the seas around Utopia. But he was just a mutant by birthright, not so much in, like, his true motivations. Because how many magneto s speech, uh, Magneto level type speeches do you remember from Namor about being a mutant? It's not his thing. Not, so. not a
0: thing. Yeah. He didn't yeah. do that. So, now He's we're just, getting. So, in... like, I have my. He's very, like,. Uh very much like uh, wakanda and black panther yes. anyways which is why i guess they're they hate each other
1: yeah because they're the two kingdoms and kings don't like to to other kings
0: exactly so
1: you, get, so you get a you get a crossing a pass here now charles is approaching him and like you see like a new era like begin right here in this moment where it's like well let me tell you what we're doing and then now you get to see what namor is going to say in response and that's ooh the story is is heating up in this part this is yeah. where he, some reveals some yeah
0: right here, here. yeah Namor namor's just all like i know the real reason you're here it's like you understand that they will never love you they will always envy you they they hate you and you're superior superiority will always be a burden to them and you finally figured out that you are essentially better than them above them but i knew this the whole time i knew i was special i knew i was better than everybody so why why do you come to me knowing with this revelation that i've known for so long and just he's just all like be gone little man and come back when you mean it and you're just like, damn, Namor is dropping, dropping some some knowledge, because that's what he cares about. He cares about his kingdom, and that's all that matters at the moment.
1: Yeah, we get a huge revelation right here. Like in this whole dialogue between Charles and Namor, there's a there's a a, a highlighted concept that Namor flushes out and puts on on the floor in front of Charles and says, like, explain this. Then he points to the fact that he he can tell that Charles is not sincere with his level of tenacity. He has not on Namor's level. Namor is a king that bows to no one and concedes to no man, but he knows that Charles still has some sort of internal moral agenda. I feel like that's what that's highlighting. It's pointing that, like, you know what? There's still the very traditional moral compass-driven Charles Xavier inside you, and that that type of person was never truly eradicated You put forth a false metamorphosis, and I see you where you truly are. I know that you are no king like I. And he sent him away in a a way to denounce and say, you know, I don't want to play your game unless we're playing to win. Which is is an interesting thing to note, because it means that Namor still backs the mutants, and he's still pretty much part and parcel with what the mutant kind has to deal with but he's also realizing that Charles is not ready to face this war in the way that he would. So he fooled Magneto, but he did not fool Namor. That's did what's being revealed Namor. right here.
0: Yeah. And that's interesting. That is pretty interesting.
1: Um, it's beyond what you were going to expect from like what was going to come out of this. I mean, I was pretty much led to believe that Charles was in a much more I, I don't even want to say sinister, but on a little more malevolent kind of road with his, um, his new drive and uh, perseverance. Like he was going to take some uh, liberties and some, some uh, sacrifices that were going to be pretty shocking for his character. But now I'm starting to get the feeling like, oh, wait, is this part of Charles' bigger plan? And is he still trying to do something that is more in line with the traditional X-Men message? It makes me start to embrace that concept again. And that's the cool doubt, because I was mentioning it last time. It was the line that we're constantly walking where I, my expectations are getting subverted or subverted right away, and I'm falling back and forth. Like, I'm thinking, oh, I get it. Oh, no, wait, I don't. Like, there's another trick to it, because mm-hmm. he, he's not this type of Charles that we were led to believe. He He's definitely some something deeper, something more nuanced. And I love how Namor was the one that put it on the table for all of us to see.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm excited to see it come back around, but knowing Hickman, who knows?
1: Oh, yeah, we get this now, the payoff is now, but the payoff for that, we're not anywhere near that. <laughs>
0: no, not at all.
1: That, that ain't happening yet. <laughs> this is Wait. a good pre- prelude, a good pre <laughs>
0: Definitely. Definitely, but moving forward, we move on to X-Men year... 1000 and we are brought back to what was happening last time on powers of x issue number four where we're still figuring out the librarians still figuring out with the elders uh if they should ascend because they're still unsure if it's them ascending or just uh Kind of, it's just the the whole mind, bio, biological com, computer kind of dilemma.
1: Yeah, Is we digitize. It, yeah. Are,
0: yeah. Are we still something within the machine? And and then this episode, we're going to see episode. I said it again. And then and we're brought back to the uh, elder and the yeah. elders met by the phalanx.
1: This is the culmination of their discussion. Essentially, like they are, are now having to make their decision on what is it that the Phalanx uh, can offer them, and what can they offer in return to the Phalanx. And you see that what gets decided is something that was pretty, pretty much laid out with the way the Phalanx was presented and how we know they per- they approach biological societies especially with the stuff that hickman fleshed out with describing how the phalanx's motivation breaks down and we get an interesting like transition to to what would be uh the devourment of the (laughs) of the elders in their physical body literally gone just one panel there and one panel
0: (laughs) and then gone yeah just
1: like literally like and your food your digitized food
0: Oh,
1: wow. yes. did you notice that the phalanx returned to a more, uh, bipedal form? They went yeah. back in that.
0: And it was like, almost like, it, it looks like, like it's a, mirroring the elder almost kind of.
1: Yeah. Like there was like this weird, uh, physical simulation, uh, simulation that began like a duplication that began before the actual, uh, Follow up, a simulation happened. Mm. <laughs> like we're like, I'm going to turn into you, and then I'm going to take the essence of you and incorporate you to me as I'm doing that, which seems pretty scary from the elders' perspective. <laughs> you're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And then you're gone. And that panel before the the actual disappear disappearance it looks pretty intense itself because you could see the actual beginning of the uh, assimilation. Like just a small spread like that little nod you got when you saw um douglas touch those plants Mm -hmm. like you see something like a little bit bigger scale like forming on his face (laughs) it's pretty cool his eyes like wow (laughs) oh man yeah it's a very crazy transition and we're getting a good closure on or a good uh, bit of closure on this whole like story from the librarian's perspective because it's been kind of spaced out over a lot of the powers chapters, or issues. Yeah. And now we're getting, like, what they were, were trying to shoot for with Ascension and what this really turns into. But, I mean, the librarians were supposed to be incredibly smart people. <laughs> or the librarian was supposed to be a part of a very s- smart and sophisticated uh, race of sapiens, you know? Or evolved sapiens, but, like, their ability to perceive what was going to happen here with the phalanx seems almost, like, <laughs> shockingly uh under or under par like they should know this wasn't gonna end well like why would they really even care about us anyways we're we're as van i mean you get this dialogue between the librarian and what essentially is nimrod
0: Nimrod, nimrod
1: yeah the future nimrod and like that breakdown like kind of highlights the fact that like you guys were doomed from the start the human or what was left of the human mutant robot amalgamation
0: yes exactly and it kind of breaks it down it's like why did they consume the or why did they destroy the elder and and nimrod kind of breaks it down for them and it's like they need to improve right like you we built them to improve they built them to self-replicate they did their thing and they kept evolving and then they eventually and it's kind of building the layers to what we're going to discuss in a second which is uh, the universal types of societies and how they built a much bigger sophisticated version of what nimrod essentially is and that It's there to consume and collect all information and all data. And their, their programming, essentially, or their purpose is to consume energy. And even though you're getting collected, even though you're being ascended, it will destroy the earth. It'll destroy you in the process. And is that the price that's going you're willing to pay? But at this point, it's happening, right? So yeah. At this point, yeah. It's, it's at this going point, down. It's like, well, it's happening. It's going down. This is <laughs> this, this is this, this is what. This was what's...
1: what was going to happen when the failings show up. You know, like this is the out end game here. <laughs> like, uh, I love how like just straightforward and and candid like Nimrod is about all this. Where just like this is in the math.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm just telling you this because I'm a computer. Like I don't know what you want me to tell you. You fucked it's up. Just data.
0: It's <laughs> just data. Nothing oh. I can tell you.
1: Oh, but we get a huge shift, though. It changes from how they break down what uh, technology is for computing to what essentially the evolution is for more evolved technological beings. Like he, he, he creates the contrast between like you're looking at computer components as a physical material, like a means of metal and machinery. These beings are a biomechanic machine. They're, they are biomechanical organisms that are bled with actual laws of science, like the physical atoms, the physical quarks, the different layers within our physical sciences are being wielded by them in their computing, and they use those as a part of their hardware. It's just, it's just if it's, you took your computer and you took out your hard drive and you replaced it with like physical atoms, that function in the same way. And they're wielding that and it's it's so awesome to see Nimrod breaking it down where he's like, "Well, you know, I mean, even me in the the best sense, it has my limitations, but I'm not using the laws of of physics to do my computing. I'm using the laws of human-based computing conceptualization." And that's a really that's a really Far out concept that kind of touches in the realm of like quantum computing quantum mechanics It's like when you're using fabrics the fabric of space and time as your as your hardware You're gonna get some crazy results and you're literally getting black holes of information (laughs) Like massive yeah, like massive like black holes that are just data centers of like so much information the data collapse within itself (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, it sounds like a VA joke is like mixed in there, but <laughs> it might be too dark for a subject. <laughs> so much data in paper collapsed within itself. <laughs> oh, jeez, like this is crazy! Like I love how far Hickman is taking this, like sci-fi commentary or uh, contemporary commentary.
0: All right, so you want you ready to talk about the societies?
1: Yeah, let's transition into like what they, the societies can actually evolve into, and like what their their uh, breakdown is. Because we we explained uh, the intelligences uh, or in was it houses uh, powers of X two right? I believe it's powers of X two. That was the yes. end. They, they broke down the types of like uh, human
0: based intelligences, human based intelligence, com- yeah. computing. Yeah, um, so this and that's, is like, pulling it back this- farther. This is taking it to a whole nother level. So before we move on to that, we are left uh, year one thousand ends with just uh, Nimrod saying, "Yo, we're done. We're doomed," and that's that's where it ends. And that's where we yeah. cut to the types of societies, and we start off with S ten million, starting off with ten million, because I think we left off at the thousand last time, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, and the SI was that it was like single intelligence
0: single singular intelligence.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so that the we're taking it to the the 10 million scale.
0: Yes, and this is known as a Titan, and a Titan is an interstellar society that has become so advanced that the density of its unified intelligence has collapsed space time into a singularity. All universal so- societies Ooh. exist and partially. A temporal space, but unlike strongholds or dominions, titans are a singular hermetic intellect, isolationist, and not a collective or a group. Like all universal societies, on the Kardashev scale, a titan represents a Type Zero civilization, and we touched on this before
1: briefly. Um, yeah, we 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 did a little bit of like. Uh just flushing out of what that concept kind of correlated to to how like you have a smaller planetarial society versus like a galactic and solar system based society
0: yeah and um what was it again the uh he calls it a type zero civilization Correct. yeah which consists of essentially uh a civilization that extracts energy, information, raw materials, or crude organic based resources, pressures via natural disasters. Um, so essentially, they harness, they have the ability to harness like the power of the sun. Yeah. Like, and energy is not a problem at this yeah, point. Well, like, yeah. We've conquered energy. We're no longer like, we're at this point, we're no longer attaining resources for energy. We're no longer working. Like, well, the concept of work is definitely out of the picture at this point.
1: Their physical manifestation of their data has created a black hole. Like they are wielding the universe in yeah. a way that I thought would be top of the food chain, but apparently not.
0: <laughs> apparently not, because black after- holes are just step one. Yeah, just step one. After that, we move on to S. Uh, the next one is 100 million, which is referred to as a stronghold. And a stronghold is a small network of connected titans, usually five or fewer, confined to a galactic cluster or a dense collection of stacked galaxies. Unlike titans, strongholds are not lone wolf societies that seek to avoid conflict. With other universal societies, strongholds are wearing factions seeking to actively destroy and absorb other strongholds in order to achieve dominion status and often challenge the sovereignty of dominions themselves if machines have religions expansions and conquests are all the altar at which strongholds worship okay
1: (laughs) oh my gosh what in the world is happening in this universe apparently there are just massive unified symbiotic artificial intelligence societies out there that are on the size of galaxies that are interwoven within each other that are at war with one another or other fact- I don't even know Like, I guess by concept and uh, in practice here they're at war with anything that it comes in contact with essentially because it's trying to consume and repurpose and control that section of the galaxy they're expanding into or I should say just the universe in general it's insane wow it's still not the top though
0: it's still pretty still ridiculous. We're still the top. We're still moving forward. you're made up of
1: a bunch of galaxies, but that's only a bunch of galaxies. Maybe what? What do they say? Like four or five usually? <laughs> yeah, four or five. Just four or five, and they're unified. Four or five galaxies that are unified. Our one galaxy isn't even unified. <laughs> right. And they've got fucking four <laughs> or five. I should say. Yeah, it's usually five yeah, or five.
0: Yeah. uh so moving on from there we go to um it's an undefined amount the number itself is undefined but it's called a dominion and a dominion is a collective of 10 or more titans acting in unison and a control in act acting in unison to control a particular sector of space in both area and epochs of time meaning spanning like
1: Oh, yeah, the eons,
0: eons, eons, eons. And while the minimum number of Titans needed to compose the Dominion is 10, the average number of Titans in a Dominion is much higher than that. For example, the Dominion controlling over Earth space, the one that's about to concern Earth, uh, has a collective of 112 Titans. Wow. It, it is worth noting that it is... It is uh, it, I don't know the distinction that Hickman... But he says that it's colloquial, not not godlike, but categorically godlike, and indistinguishable from any mythics of religion, uh, mythic or religious comparisons. What's the difference between colloquially godlike and categorically godlike?
1: Uh, it's not godlike in its uh, nomenclature and how it's labeled, but it is godlike in its it prowess. Functions. In its, yeah, its prowess. Gotcha yeah so they they don't it, it functions like a god without actually being a true god and in how colloquially a lot of the mythos are being like oh well thor is a god and all that kind of stuff and this is just them being like well it's as powerful as gods and it's that because it became such a massive organ a message of existence of one physical being mm-hmm. i mean 112 112 titans so that's 112
0: uh, galaxies, correct? Like, yeah, or it could even be clusters of galaxies, but essentially, like, we're talking galaxies upon galaxies. Of... So, you,
1: you you think it would be anywhere from, like, you could, if it was one, it'd be 112. Let's just assume, yeah, let assume, assume that it's like two. That
0: it's a galaxy. One yeah, shot, like, gal- or one Titan is one galaxy.
1: Yeah, that would at minimum be still 112.
0: Hundred
1: and twelve galaxies. Galaxies. I'm if saying. you double it, you know, two hundred and twenty four, like sure. that's still fucking stupid so <laughs> Just roll it, and it they're all one massive creature in a sense.
0: Like yeah. you know
1: how they have that have you ever heard about that massive my mycelium colonization uh, colonization in Oregon, where it's like a forest that's like he, contains a thirty uh mile long mycelium uh neural network. It's like no. technically
0: okay, okay, so it's
1: all right, that's a 30-mile-long uh, connected organism. It essentially, it mm-hmm. would be the biggest organism in the world if you break it down in, in that kind of factoring. Mm-hmm. That's 30 miles long on our one planet. This is a, at minimum, 112-galaxy-long organism that <laughs> is connected and is communicating from one point. Like, If if one part of the Titan knows something, or the Titan... Uh, Collect- collective knows something. Then the other part I would assume connects to it as well in one way. So you could be on two parts of of the universe and
0: they still have communication.
1: That kind yes. of power is godlike. I could see the godlike functionality. Oh yeah,
0: nothing has tra- traveled that fast. It,
1: that's like omnipotence almost in a, a small, kind of uh, r- a real way.
0: Yes, and the only thing that a Dominion fears is the world leader Galactus. And the Phoenix.
1: oh yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah I forgot about that. Yeah, that was that was the cool little thing that it ended in. Is like, well, yeah, Galactus because he's Galactus. Hickman loves writing
0: Galactus. <laughs> of course, you got to bring Galactus into this.
1: And then we get the nod to the Phoenix, which is like the X Men's version of Galactus. <laughs>
0: yeah. And that is uh, where we leave off, and we end with a quote, as always. And in this issue, we get a quote from Neymar stating, when you see me again, understand what that means. Which is beautiful and cocky and arrogant. Yeah,
1: that is that is a, a, a Neymar. <laughs> that is what Neymar would say, but I still mm. think it would have been funnier if it would have ended with a quote from Neymar and it just said, imperious rex. <laughs> 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 That's it. It was just yeah, because like he he didn't notice he didn't say that once. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but he didn't fight anyone. I guess that's usually like his usually that's his different. clobbering time. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, when Hickman wrote "It's clobbering time" in that one scene with, um, the thing when Johnny Storm was revealed to be alive. Oh, I got I got I got choked up. <laughs>
0: that was a good one. Was a good one. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> I was like,
1: yes, we'll use. But, yeah, I wish he would have done Imperius Rex here. That would have been great. But, you know, hey, still still a Namor quote, a very Namor quote.
0: Yes, agreed. Yeah. And that concludes Powers of X issue number five. What did you think? That was a pretty big uh, issue as well.
1: It's a great issue. Uh, the, the way it ended still got me thinking, though. Like, if they introduced the Gal- Galactus and the Phoenix at some point, how awesome would it be if Phoenix <laughs> Force possessed Galactus?
0: Oh, shit. That would be awesome. Possess Galactus to fight, like, the Dominion? Or a couple Dominions, maybe?
1: Yeah, like, they could try to take on, like, a universal-scale kind of Dominion. That would be really interesting. Or what if Galactus made the Phoenix Force's Herald? (laughs) 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 Phoenix Force possesses Gene again. Gene becomes Herald Galactus. Phoenix Force possesses Franklin Richards. Franklin Richards becomes makes Galactus's Herald again. Together, Galactus says Franklin Richards Harold, both fight <laughs> the Dominion. Oh, Hickman, come on. You Do better go it. Make ahead.
0: it happen. I want to hear him say to me, my ex, to me, Galactus again. <laughs> to me, my Galactus.
1: To me, my ex. <laughs> to me, my universe.
0: <laughs> Everyone just keeps saying to me. <laughs> Everyone to Franklin. <laughs> Everyone. Where are we going, guys? Everyone's saying the same thing. I don't know where we're going. <laughs> are we meeting somewhere are we getting yeah what time let me know the time location (laughs) just
1: oh dude oh this was a great issue though it's really had like a lot of payoff and you could have done like just the stuff prior to the transition into the uh the time jump to the further year like you really could have just ended it with a lot of the stuff that magneto and charles were proposing early on and the the new paradigm that they wanted to put forth like that could have been its own issue. Yep. But that would have probably felt more like a House of X issue, because it's yeah. too much with like the the weird artificial intelligence and evolution of AI or evolution of the machines that they have to deal with in the Sentinel concept. Yes, exactly. That's that's a uh, bread and butter for like powers. You gotta have. There has to be a mass sentient unified symbiotic robot, like. Uh, (laughs) protagonist if if you don't have a robot hive mind it's not powers (laughs) it's
0: not whatsoever
1: yeah yeah but there really there really was a lot of a lot of uh build up and payoff i i didn't i didn't feel underwhelmed by this issue
0: at all not at all not at all it was great what was your favorite moment mine was namor's cocky pompous attitude of course um
1: if i had to really oh gosh i don't (laughs) i'd have to say the funniest moment was rather there's truthfulness or or it was meant to be tongue-in-cheek but when um emma frost was like i'll do it again for the children (laughs) (laughs) and she said you know one more time (laughs) then for the children (laughs) all right i'm in (laughs) it's just like Was that meant to be bullshit or was she is she trying to turn over a new leaf? Because, you know, Charles seems like he's actually, you know, a much more true Charles. And I know Emma's had her lines of walking uh, a more guardian and mentor role for the children of uh, the X-Force or the Hellfire Club. Mm -hmm. She has been kind of like a maternal character trying to mold them, but also, you know, look after them. So I can believe that. She has that level of good to her, but at the same time, I want to feel like this is just all a a a grift. Like this is all like a like a big <laughs> like a big hustle they're trying to do, and they're trying to pull this job off. And afterwards, it's gonna be it's like an el- elongated version of Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that to be the case, and then she's like, I don't really give a shit about the children. I just want to make the money. Like, in the end, they're all betraying each other, and it's like, it's the Reservoir Dog. It's the Reservoir Dogs It's yeah. like, fell apart. And she's like, yeah, I'm out of here. Fuck never, the children. Yeah. Emma, what about the children? I never gave a damn about the children. <laughs>
0: There's lies.
1: Yeah. Oh, I really enjoyed that, though. That was that was probably my most standout part from the whole thing that, uh, after I remember it, like, vividly looking back on it, the artwork stood out through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. but really that part was the the writing was the had the most impact on me just made me think a lot and and of course you know i'll have to give the nod without saying to the uh redacted secret quiet council see, the quiet council they're very quiet it's like just a so quiet. they're hush about it they, when they talk they they, they, they use a uh, library library voice <laughs> 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 yeah toys <laughs> Too loud. <laughs> we can't have anyone here. <laughs> Doug is right there. and He is a loud mouth. He loves to translate everything.
0: <laughs> Damn it, Doug.
1: Stop <laughs> so reading my body language.
0: <laughs> of course, uh, I'm
1: nervous. You're always trying to break me down, you asshole.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, man. But, oh, jeez. So good. Yeah. So good. Thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: Wow, oh, and said, like, kudos again uh, to R B. Sylvia for another beautifully drawn issue. You know when I was trying to remember R b Sylvia and then uh, Pepe uh, Lorez when I was trying to remember their names did you uh, do you ever make the mistake and think Pepe Sylvia in your head? Do you remember that character from <laughs> that episode of It's always Sunny? where Charlie was working in the mail room and he's like Pepe Silvia, Pepe <laughs> Sylvia, man he's like the mail keeps coming for me. He's like, Cause he made?" That
0: i do i do remember that episode Uh oh, i had that
1: moment funny. today where i was like oh yeah pepe sylvie why does that sound familiar and i'm like oh i know <laughs> it's funny yeah,
0: that was a every, nice
1: little nod every
0: time i think of every time i see these charts that hickman does i actually think of that episode of it's always sunny with charlie in the mailroom <laughs> all it always
1: comes. It never stops. It's, I don't understand. Like, where does it go? Where's it? <laughs> it's great. Like, I picture him with like a, a like a, one of those traditional um, conspiracy nylon boards, and he's yeah. got one going all the way across the room, tying this and tying other places. He's like, a, he's got pictures of Atlantis, but like they're like faraway shots of <laughs> the <Like>, building. <laughs> he's like, Namor's here. <laughs> this is where he lives. He probably eats breakfast here. <laughs> Yeah, you know he's got a huge room filled with this whole mythos he's building. Because he's putting a lot into it. It reminds me of, like, when you're, like, if you try to make, like, a Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Or you try to, like, put some sort of, like, DM approach or GM approach to any type of game. There's a lot of world building and, like, rules that he's putting in that the characters themselves can just bounce off of and, like, run with. Like you would with, like, player characters when you put them into a role and, like, a scenario. You're just like, well, here's my scenario. You guys have to react to it, and then the characters that he's writing can now just organically react to it because he put the rules there. It's like a nice writing trick that he's kind of set up for himself. Think about it. If you make these rules and you make them so uh, fleshed out in a way where they, they kind of shape the world, when you put a character like Cyclops in it, you can have him act appropriately using his kind of mentality and how he would act against these rules and Hickman has kind of set it up where a lot of people coming after him can really benefit from it if they don't fuck it up.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: just saying like yeah. If they could stick to if this could become the X-Men's bible from this point out, I can get behind it, but if if after this like I get that maybe some people may not like it 100%, but if after this it goes to some other new chaotic route where they start to pull from the old mythos but throw away what Hickman's done, just like he did with secret they all did with secret wars then it's just gonna go it's gonna go to crap. It'll become a garbage
0: fire. It will. And that, that'll really undersell what all this is building up towards.
1: And we return to the dark times.
0: The dark times of return.
1: <laughs> you want you want you want Scott Summers whiny and wearing a giant red Speedo? You will get it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not my X-Men. Not my X-Men. A <laughs> Amen, <Hey, my> brother! <laughs> Uh, that's great and on that we will leave it here that concludes powers of x issue number five we will catch you next week for house of x issue number six we are on the last leg of of the race we're gonna see xavier make an announcement to the world a very very bold crazy announcement and it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting it's gonna be intense starting the beginning of the end of the beginning the beginning of the end of the beginning yes exactly (laughs)
1: uh let's strap in for this one because it's gonna take (laughs) off
0: yes (laughs) And but you will probably it, lose it real quick. <laughs> oh <come> yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Yes, exciting. But until then, I'm Kyle. You are Danny. You is in the person I'm talking to. <laughs> and you, you are all the we are all the collective. We we you are all in my dominion. <laughs> yes. Not not the audience you as in like yeah.
1: <laughs> and who's, who's on first?
0: Who's on first? Uh, oh, who's driving? Oh no, Bear is driving. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who are we doing? Pal? What What are we doing? <laughs> all right,
0: remember, folks, the AI is gonna kill us all. Catch you next week.